for um, just really that that is our echo, that it is well, that God in the midst of uh, what some of us may face in the midst of the difficulties and struggles, uh, through the trials, through the the tribulations, through the times that we uh, really just walk through it, we pray that that would be our prayer, that it is well uh, with us, that everything that we do, uh, it would be well. And so God, today we pray that you would speak to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter four real quick. We're gonna read Matthew four, starting in verse 18. Matthew four, starting in verse 18. You can stay standing, I know. I just saw everybody sit down. You can stay standing, we'll read. Um, it's a pain for me to stand, sorry, it's even a pain for me to stand even for music. Um, my, my left, I think I need to go to a chiropractor. Uh, my left hip is bothering me. So anyways, Matthew 4, starting in verse 18, listen to what he says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So you may be seated. As you do that, um, we're starting a new sermon series uh, today called Who's Your One? And to let you know a little bit about Who's Your One, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention a lot, uh, about, a, I guess about six months ago, came out with this initiative uh, to really use the church or to be the church that is uh, really taking on this idea of reaching people. The reality is this, and for those of you who don't know, obviously in today's culture, there is some temptations to see things go in a certain way, or, or there's, the reality is we're seeing things go in a certain way. We see the number of people attending church decreasing. We see the number of people following Christ in all actuality around the world is actually increasing, all right? The only thing is, is that in America, it's not, all right? And we can look at a number of things that we're gonna deal with, but I wanna ask you this question. As a matter of fact, you'll see today's sermon title is Disciples Making Disciples, all right? The reality is, and I believe this is a, a struggle we have to look at, the reality is that the American church is a far cry from a church that makes disciples. The reality is the American church, for the most part, is good at attracting people, whether it's through music or events and things like that, but we're very bad at making disciples, we struggle with what it means to make a disciple. Matter of fact, I'll even say this. For some of you or for some of us, we grew up in a mentality that making disciples revolved around this. Sunday school, what used to be called church training union, and things like that. But the problem is what we see for the most part is that discipleship or disciple making has taken a backseat to everything else. All right, and so what we're gonna deal with over the next couple months, we're gonna deal with who's your one over a, about a month time period, and then we're gonna start to lay out things that will set the order or set the goal from now on for our church. And that is to be a church that is full of disciples making disciples. In other words, here's what I really wanna say or what I wanna urge to you, all right? If you are a member of this church, The expectation is, as a result of you being a member, that you're going to be involved in the discipleship process to the point of you will be eventually discipling other people, okay? I'm not talking about a Sunday school teacher, even though we may 
ask you to lead a Sunday school class. I'm not talking about a life group leader, even though we may ask you to be a life group leader. What I'm talking about is, are you making disciples? We're raising the bar because the reality is when you look at Jesus' great commission to go and make disciples, when we evaluate our church, and I'm talking about our church, but I would also talk about the American church as a whole, when you evaluate, are we making disciples, I would say that for the most part, we are failing. And here's the reason why. When the amount of kids who are rising up through the church graduate high school and leave and never come back, it tells me we're not making disciples. And I know today on Father's Day, it can be one of those things. You can go, hey, my, 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 my relationship with my father was great. My father led me a certain way. And others may say, hey, my, my father wasn't a believer. He didn't lead us to go to church. He didn't believe it uh, or lead us to follow Jesus. And so there are things that we can deal with as we go down that road. But I wanted to go and say, hey, look, we can look at the past and we can blame the past all we want. But the reality is we're gonna start moving towards something in the future. We're gonna chart a course for the future that says we don't want to go down that road. We want to change the tide. We want to change the scorecard. We want to change what we're going about it. So here's what I want to do. I want, I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to consider or think about what comes to your mind when I throw these things out. What comes to your mind when I say, and you don't have to, don't scream it out because I don't care about your opinions, all right? All right. What comes to your mind when you think about a politician? You have somebody in mind. What comes to your mind when you think about Republican? What comes to mind when you think about Democrat? What comes to mind when you think about a Chiefs fan? And what comes to mind when you think about a Broncos fan? What comes to mind when you think about maybe who's somebody who's a CrossFit fanatic? Or what comes to mind when you think about a baby boomer? Or what comes to mind when you think about a millennial? All of those things in some way, shape, or form threw a picture into your mind. Maybe you envisioned somebody. Maybe you thought about policies. Maybe you thought about maybe their attitude towards you during a certain time of the football season. You know, maybe it, you know, things like that that, that come to mind. But I want to ask you this question to go even further. What comes to mind when you hear the church at Three Trails? What comes to mind when you hear Christian or what comes to mind when you hear disciple? See, all of those things in reality should present us a picture. And what I want you to begin to see as we jump into Matthew chapter four, I want you to think about what comes to mind when you hear the word Christian, because the reality is this, as I began to prepare for this, did you know that obviously the first followers of Jesus didn't call themselves Christians? As a matter of fact, it was a derogatory term used by people outside of the faith to talk about disciples. In the book of Acts, in, in chapter 11, verse 26, we see that the first Christians were known as disciples. As a matter of fact, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible, but the word disciple is used 281 times. And so in today's American ideology or in today's American Christian standard, the question is this. When I say Christian, what comes to mind versus when I say disciple? Because there's lots of people I know who say, yeah, man, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, because that's the way my parents were. Oh, well, that's good. But your parents being believers or disciples does not mean you're a Christian. And likewise, 
Somebody who says, well, I'm just, I'm not Muslim or I'm not Jewish, so I must be a Christian. The reality is this, that a disciple has certain characteristics, certain qualities that when they live them out through their lifestyle, they begin to show who they are. In other words, they show that they are a small C Christian or a a Christ follower based upon what they do. See, disciple is far more accurate than a compelling description of what it means to follow Jesus. And as we'll see, this whole idea of a disciple exposes the fact that many who claim to be Christians in reality aren't. Matter of fact, I would just ask you to evaluate yourself today based upon scripture, based upon what we see here and ask yourself, am I a disciple Or have I settled for what I'll call the American idea of Christianity? See, the truth of the matter is that all Hebrew boys went to school, Torah school, starting at age five. And the reality is that by the age of 12, they were expected to know the whole five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Yes, the torturous book of Leviticus. Numbers and Deuteronomy. And while you may sit back and go, well, that's crazy. The reality is, is that's the role of a disciple. You know, a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was even a couple months ago, I asked you how many of you could say that you had as many Bible verses memorized as you were old. And the simple fact is, I didn't have you stand up. I didn't ask you to raise your hand, I don't believe. But the simple fact is, for most of us in American Christianity, the reality is we don't even have enough Bible verses memorized to equal our age, let alone the fact that we could memorize or know five books of the Bible. By age 10, all of those Hebrew boys who knew the Torah or would know the Torah and the best students went on to study the remainder of the Old Testament. And get this, I want you to understand this. At the age of 17, if you wanted to go on and make a career out of religious studies or to become a rabbi possibly, your next step was to find a rabbi you admired and and then you had to listen, apply to become one of his disciples. In other words, the rabbi would look and go, do I really want you to be my disciple? Do you have the work ethic and the drive? Are you willing to do what it takes? Do you have the character with which you could carry on my legacy? In other words, to do the things I do, to teach the things I teach, would you live up to that? The rabbis could even then choose the smartest and most talented boys to be their disciples. And so when they chose a disciple, they were choosing or choosing, sorry, choosing someone who they believe could become just like them. And what I want you to see today in in the scripture is this, that Jesus chooses these men to become his disciple. And the funny thing is, he didn't go for the smartest. He didn't go for the most intelligent. He didn't go for the guys who were the most influential in culture. He didn't go to the politicians where we might think he would go. You know, he didn't go to the political rulers and the kings and, and all of those people of those days. Instead, he went to these guys. These, and it starts with these four men, the fishermen of all people. Now, the reality is, for those of you who want to put it in today's cultural context, going to a fisherman might like be going to a rancher of today's world. Most people in society look at them as out of touch. You know what I'm talking about? Country folk, they don't get the big picture. The big city people who all want to say that the, 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 the country folks don't get it, It would be like him going to ranchers, rednecks to a certain extent, maybe. The ones who aren't necessarily the smartest or brightest tools in the shed, you know, the brightest light bulb of the bunch or the sharpest tool in the shed, whatever. 
It would be like him showing up and picking these people. And what I want you to begin to see is this, that for several years, when these young men, the Hebrew boys, as well as these guys, when for several years, these young disciples would follow their teachers, their rabbis, imitating them in every way. And the goal of the disciple was to be like the rabbi. And my question to you today is this, is that your goal? Is your goal to be like Jesus? Is your goal to live like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to treat others the way Jesus wants us to treat them? Or is it something else? Is it a different picture? So here's what I want you to remember. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this statement. We've been called to be disciples of Jesus, and we've been called to make disciples of Jesus. There's two things there. We've been called to be disciples of Jesus first. In other words, that we are the followers of the teacher. We are the ones who want to imitate him, to mimic him, to do what he says, to to be obedient to him. So we're called to be disciples of Jesus first, but then we're called to make disciples of Jesus second. Those are the two main things. As a matter of fact, I'll even say it this way, that when a church misses the point and realizes or says, hey, it's no longer about reaching people, it's no longer about making disciples, it's only about maintaining the status quo or keeping the inside people happy, then the church begins to miss the picture and they begin to fall away. And at that point, I believe that this is the question you have to begin to ask. Is it even a church anymore? So asking that question or laying this out, we've called to, or we have been called to be disciples of Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. I wanna unpack four things, all right? Four things I think we'll see today. I don't have a, a question necessarily, but I want four things. I want you to see four things today that I see in this text as we unpack it. Starting in verse 18, listen to what it says. Jesus doesn't choose the best, but he chooses the willing. Again, what he says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they're casting a net into the lake for their fishers of men. And so Jesus is walking along. He comes up to these two guys first and later two more guys. He doesn't choose the best, all right? He doesn't go to the premier guys. He doesn't go to the top-notch scientists or the smartest electrical engineers. He doesn't hit the politicians and those who have the most influence. He doesn't do that. Matter of fact, he chooses regular, ordinary people. So the thing is that we have to begin to see is that Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. And so as we dig into this, as you begin to see, as you let that sink in, when Jesus chose his squad, all right, his his crack squad, his eight, as a matter of fact, I'm reading this book right now called Fearless. I got it from Kevin and it's phenomenal. It's about these, this SEAL guy, his name's Adam Brown. He ends up making it to SEAL Team 6, all right? That's the premium, the, the, the premium, the premium, cream of the crop type group. It's the top 1% guys ever make it to be a Navy SEAL. Jesus didn't go and say, hey, I'm gonna pick the Navy SEALs of the bunch, it would kind of like be going to the B team in basketball. Now, I'll take these guys because he didn't choose them based upon what they brought to the table. He choose, chose them because they were willing. And what we have to begin to understand is this, that Jesus chooses the people who are willing, He's, that are willing to be obedient, they're willing to follow him, they're willing to put their life on the line. Because why? Because they're going to stay obedient to what Jesus has called them to do long before they ever cater. And so this rabbi, this Jesus had chosen them, guys without much potential, guys without little influence or much personal power to follow him and become like him. Why? 
because he knew that they would know him as he knew God and to do what he did and be filled with his power. Matter of fact, I wanna read this quote to you. John MacArthur, pastor out in California, says this, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Heroditus, the historian, Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. Instead, he chose men so ordinary, it was almost laughable. Why not go after those people? If you think about history and you think about some of the great things that were thrown out there, the great names, why go after four fishermen who have no influence whatsoever? No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. Jesus chose the B team in reality. But I want you to think about this. And here's, here's the truth. Here's, here's how it plays out. People with a lot of talent, people with a lot of ability, people who feel like they have a lot to bring to the table only get in the way. Why? Because we get stuck up on what we can bring to the table. We get caught up in the idea of, well, look at me and look what I offer. You need me. And what Jesus does is he shows that I don't need you. I want a relationship with you and I want to use you in a great way. Matter of fact, it should point us that Jesus' power is made perfect in weakness. You ever heard that? It's straight out of scripture. That his power is made perfect in weakness and that the weakest vessel is infinitely greater than the strongest, most influential person here. Why? Because it's not about what you and I can bring to the table. It's just rather, can we offer a willing heart, an obedient heart to do what he's called us to do? So when we talk about this whole idea of a disciple making disciples, what we have to remember is this, we have been called to be disciples of Jesus first. In other words, you are called to be a disciple of Jesus first and foremost. He is to be the one you follow. He is to be the one that you sit at the feet of. He is to be the one you listen to. He is to be the one you imitate and mimic. Why? Because that is what a disciple is. So, We've been called to be disciples of Jesus first and foremost. Number two is this. We see, number one, Jesus doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. Number two, I want you to see this, that Jesus calls us to be with him. Here's the primary thing you have to begin to understand, all right? A lot of times we're like, well, I, I go to church for Sunday school. I go to church for church. Maybe I go to life group. Maybe you go to something else, all right? But you have to understand this, that Jesus calls us to be with him. Listen to what he says. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What does he say? Come what? Follow me. There's this idea. He is asking us, he's calling us to be with him. Your first priority in everything that you do should always be to have that relationship with him. You will never be effective as a Christian. You will never be effective as a disciple if your relationship with Jesus is not first and foremost. Our first priority, our first primary thing is to sit under the teachings of Jesus first and foremost. There should be nothing else above that. Matter of fact, he didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't give them an assignment he had for them. His primary call is not to do something. His primary call is to become like him, to be like him. You have to know him. You have to know his word. You have to know what he's calling you to do. And in order to do that, you have to sit at his feet. So listen, 
the first and foremost thing is he wants willing people. The second thing is he wants you. In other words, he wants the relationship with you first. Are you willing to sit at the feet of Jesus? And the question then would be to ask myself, how do I do that? Matter of fact, I'll even say this. There are so many opportunities for you to do it. Number one, through you got your personal devotion. Your personal devotion life is first and foremost. And we've tried to give you tools. We got the real life Bible study or the truth project. If you, if you or the, um, the Bible project, sorry, not the truth project. The Bible project, you go to bibleproject.com, give you a reading plan. You got you version. All right, we've got all of those things. We've set it up where you got right now media. You have access to more discipleship material where you can grow, all right? Not only do we have that, we have life groups. We have our Sunday school classes. We have discipleship groups, which are gonna be starting here. We're gonna talk about this over the summer, all right? But we're gonna have discipleship groups that are start up. For those of us who need to step into leadership roles and who have never been discipled, you're going to be discipled. It's gonna be a high invite. I'm gonna tell you this right now. It's high invite, high intentionality, and high accountability. In other words, you may say, well, how come I'm not invited? An invitation is usually given based upon this, commitment, desire, and connections. Am I committed to the church? Am I showing I'm, I'm obedient? Am I showing that I want to grow? Desire, is there a desire to grow in discipleship? And then connections. Are there connections relationally? All right. And the reason why I throw this out there is this. Some people think, well, hey, that means as soon as somebody comes in the door, they're going to enter into a discipleship group. That's not true. There are life groups and there are things like that that we want to get people connected to. But our leadership, those people who are stepping into leadership roles, what I'm telling you now is this, is that our discipleship aspect is going to take place. It's going to step up. The expectation is going to step up. High intentionality, high accountability. <clears throat> number three is this, if, or sorry, if, number two, Jesus calls us to be with him. We talk about this over and over and over again, and all I can say is that you're, the main thing in this is, is for you. Do you sit at the feet of Jesus? Remember going back to the, the boys who were looking at becoming a possible rabbi, they would sit under or disciple, be discipled by this rabbi who would teach him how to live how to read, how to, how to read the word, how to read the religious text, how to grow in their relationship. He would teach them how to act, how to make moral decisions. One of the biggest things that worries me in today's Christian culture is simply this, that we're willing to compromise the biblical standard with which God set up as a standard to say, it's okay, do whatever you want. That's not discipleship. A disciple mimics. Now listen to me, and I'm gonna throw this out there wholeheartedly as well. I find it a far cry for some people to sit back and just yell and scream through media and social media and tell people they're wrong when they're not willing to live it out themselves and, get, and walk alongside people. When somebody's living in a sinful life, to walk alongside, to be friends with them, to understand they're not gonna act like a believer should act, but yet to still be friends with them, to not act like a moron, to not act like a jerk but to walk alongside with people. But listen, always calling them to a higher standard. What's the higher standard? Obedience to God first and foremost. So Jesus calls us to be with him. That's number two. Number three, the third thing I want you to see, if, if we've been called to be disciples of Jesus, and then the third thing, to, or the second part of it, to make disciples of Jesus, then we have to understand this. To follow Jesus is to leave everything. 
everything. That means to leave your ideas and thoughts, to leave the things that you were taught, maybe from a worldly standard and perspective, to leave the ideas that, hey, this is the right way when it goes clearly and consistently against God's word. It means to leave everything. And here's how, what, what the reason why I'm doing this. In verse 20, you'll see, it says at once they left their nets and they followed him. They left their jobs, all right? And then listen to verse 22. And immediately, this is the second group of guys. This is, this is James and John. And it says immediately they left their boat. In other words, their riches for the most part, the thing that they were using to get their job. They left their boat and their father and they followed him. Here's the reality, here's the truth, here's what happens. They immediately left their boat and their father and followed him. Why do we identify these two things in this story? And I want you to see this, because they're usually the most significant things in our lives, are they not? Income or job and family. Tell me what two things are more significant than those in most people's lives. There's usually not. Income with which way we, the way we live, the way we are able to support our family, the way we are able to make ends meet, the way we're able to put food on the table and clothes on our backs, and family. Those are the two most important things in most people's lives. And I would even say, even in the midst of conflict among family, that family is still the most important things because it wouldn't be that big a deal if it didn't bother you. But when it bothers you, you know it's a big deal. And I believe this wholeheartedly, one of these things, to follow Jesus, he has to take precedence over everything. He has to take precedence over my job. He has to take precedence over my family. He has to take precedence over my relationship with my wife, that my relationship with my wife will be even better when Jesus is first and foremost in my life than if he's second, third, fourth, fifth down the road. Why? Because I'll begin to act like I should act. I'll begin to treat her the way I'm supposed to treat her. I, will act not, I won't act selfish. I'd rather act sacrificial according to what Scripture tells us, that our husbands should love our wives as Christ loves the church. There's a sacrificial aspect that takes place. For some, God may, listen, here's, and here's the reality. When we talk about this, he's calling these men away from fishing, and he says, I'm going to make you what? Fishers of men. You know, the ironic thing about growing in discipleship is this, that God may call you away from the job that is comfortable. God may call you away from the very thing that you have been raised to do. God may call you in a, in a certain realm or into a different position down the road. And I'll even say this, I've been meeting with guys and you have to understand part of my job that I get to do with the Missouri Baptist Convention, but we're trying to raise up guys who can pastor churches. And we're trying to raise up guys and identify guys. And I'm not just talking young guys, I'm talking older guys. I met with a group of nine pastors about a month ago up in the Lynn Livingston area. It's up, up north in Chillicothe. And all nine of these guys, there were two of them that were under 40. The rest of them were all older. And here's what I'm telling you. For some of you, maybe you're looking at retiring. Guess what? You may be called to do. You may think, oh, that's crazy. Why would I pastor a church? Because maybe, just maybe, as you're discipled, as you're grown, that's the way God works it out. That you're called to 
to plant a church or you're called to replant or invest in and lead out. Matter of fact, I'm gonna say this, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I want you to understand what's going on in our culture. Do you realize that we're closing between 800 and 900 churches a year? Closing, ceasing to exist, no more. Done, over, kaput, dead, gone, okay? In order to not see that happen, do you know what we need more than anything? We need to lead people to Jesus, obviously, number one. Do you know what we need more than anything? Leaders who are willing to be bivocational, co-vocational. Guys, you could say, hey, I can, I can work and do that, and I can pastor a church. You want to know Why? because we gotta get away from the American mindset that the pastor has to do it all. And I know, listen, I, I love you dearly because I think you guys have given us that freedom. And I hope you hear my heart out. We need more churches like that. We need more churches where people are gonna rise to the occasion and step up and say, hey, I'm willing to take, take this and I'm willing to do this. Why? Because this is what God has called me to do. And the reality is the more leaders we raise up and the more people we can do that, guess what it would do? Do you know how nice it would be to stop the death rate of churches? Matter of fact, I can tell you right now, there are three, if not four churches within two miles of our church that I'm guaranteeing you within the next two to three years, they're knocking on death's door. Some of them are knocking right now. They just don't realize it because they got 90% of the church is 80 year old. There's this old song by Guns N' Roses, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Some churches are knock, knock, knocking on death's door. We need to understand this. To follow Jesus, we have to leave everything. And so some of that may mean this, that in the midst of retirement, maybe God calls you to reach out and be a pastor. Maybe God prepares you and he's laying something on your heart. to maybe not, maybe not pastor. Maybe it's to be a part of multiplying out. I told you from the get-go and I'm gonna keep this at the forefront of everything that we do that our church wants to be about multiplying. I said this from the get-go, we will never build, all right? If we grow, as we continue to grow, my goal is to ask people to leave. Our goal as a church is to ask people to leave. So if you're approached by me, it's not because I hate you, all right? If you're approached by me or some people in the church and we're like, hey, you wanna leave? It's not because we hate you. It's because we love you. It's because we see your leadership ability. We see what God is doing in your heart as we've raised leaders up within the church and we can say, hey, this person is somebody who we see the calling upon, we see the work of God in, and we see the leadership ability to lead out in planting or pastoring a church. And my goal is this, church, and I hope you hear me out wholeheartedly, that we're not committed to a building, but that we're committed to making disciples. And in that, we may ask other people to leave. And trust me, that's not comfortable. When you start thinking about raising up or, or, or taking care of staff and supporting people, and you're gonna ask 10, 15, 20 people to leave a church, what's that do to giving? So hear me out. This is not about padding pockets. This is not about growing our influence. It's not about multiplying out or making the name Brian Grout big. This is not that at all. Why? Because to follow Jesus means we may have to leave everything. And number four is this, and, I, and really just kind of continues on. If we've been called to be disciples of Jesus, to make disciples of Jesus, the fourth thing I want you to see is this, that Jesus leads us to spiritually reproduce. 
Matter of fact, I have a, a pastor friend, he's really my mentor, who says that every church should be birthed pregnant. In other words, the church, when it's born, should automatically, automatically be planning to become pregnant. In other words, to have a baby. And when you start planning on having a baby, whether that's a replant, in other words, taking a dying church and planting a new church in it, or whether that's planting a brand new church, that's having a baby. And what I wanna keep on the forefront of every believer's mind within our church is this. The more churches we plant, the more churches we revitalize, the more churches we replant, the more disciples we make, the more impact on the kingdom we have. Not saying it's about this church and this church alone. The beauty of multiplication, the beauty of reproduction is this. That one church can plant another church. That could then plant another church. And that every church would be a church that reproduces. When churches see the need not to build a big K kingdom or a small K kingdom, but we see the big K kingdom mentality, then we'll be successful. The reason churches in China, matter of fact, I read an article this week. I read it to Mary. Um, she didn't believe it. Did you know that the fastest growing church in the world right now, anybody want to know where it's at? Nope, it's not China. Not anymore. I'll bet you'll never guess. It's in the Middle East. Matter of fact, it's one of the countries we have the most problems with. Anybody want to guess now? Starts with an I, ends with ran. Something my I don't do. <laughs> Iran is actually the fastest growing church in the world right now, contrary to popular belief. It's also the most persecuted church in the world right now. Jesus leads us to spiritually reproduce. Why does China and Iran have all the success and while America sits by and stagnates and churches are dying? And I believe it is this reason because we made it about attending a building on a day rather than making disciples. And what I want you to hear is this, that the church has to raise up and make more disciples in order to be effective. There's no such thing, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna say this and it may hurt you, there is no such thing as a non-reproducing Christian and there is no such thing as a non-reproducing church. If Christians or disciples are making disciples, then we're reproducing. And if disciples are making disciples, that's the church, then the church should be reproducing. And if the church is reproducing, then that means people are being reached. And if people are being reached, then cultures are being changed and communities are being changed by the truth of the gospel. That is the gospel lived out in a nutshell. That is what I believe we are missing. And so when I say this wholeheartedly, I, I hear, hear me out, and it's not an, a reflection upon you. I think it's a reflection upon leadership. I think it's a reflection on, and looking back and going, that's the way the American church used to be, but it's the way it can't be anymore. In order to successfully reach people with the gospel, we have to change the way we do things. And I, I, I'm just gonna say this right now, some of it's gonna be uncomfortable, even for myself. Some of it's gonna be more time consuming. Some of it's a longer path trajectory, but some of it, the reality is in the end, I believe it's gonna be a more fruitful path down the road. 
And so hear me out when I say this, and I, I hope you hear this out. When, when we start talking about who's your one, I wanna ask you today to start doing this, to identify one person in your life that over the next six months, year, you're gonna pray for daily, specifically, with the intent to share the gospel, with the intent, the idea to make a disciple out of them, all right? One person that you're gonna pray daily. That's why the emphasis is who's your one. And as a result of that, we're gonna start pushing this because in your life groups, I want you to say, who's my one? This is the person I'm praying for. Maybe it's a next door neighbor. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a father, a mother. Maybe it's a boyfriend, girlfriend. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a assistant coach. Maybe it's somebody who, maybe it's the coach of your child's team. I don't know. But my question is, who's your one? And listen to me, here's, here's my thing. I, I believe it removes the excuses because a lot of times we go, well, you need three. You need five. How about one? If you got three, fine, go for three. But one, that over this year, you're gonna pray for. You're gonna encourage. You're gonna take a chance to sit down and talk with them about who Jesus is talk about the good news of the gospel, talk about what Jesus offers in life and life more abundantly. In the Greek, as a matter of fact, we're gonna jump to this real quick. In, in, in Matthew chapter 28, it literally says to go and make disciples of all nations. We focus on baptizing and what? Teaching or training, okay? But there's only one command in that text. Anybody know what it is? What? Nope, goes a participle. Baptize is a participle. Training is a participle. Anybody know what the command is? There's two words right in there called make disciples. That's the command Jesus gave. It carries this idea, as you're going along in life, make disciples. In other words, as you're working, as you're at the soccer field, as you're at Walmart or Hy-Vee, as you are driving down the road, as you are meeting with somebody at your home, as you're having people over, as you're having Christmas, as you're having Thanksgiving, as you're having Father's Day lunch, the only command in that text is to make disciples. And making disciples obviously means baptizing and training, but the carryover is this. Jesus' command is to make disciples. So I wanna close with this. In his book, there's a guy named Robert Coleman. I've had the chance a couple times to sit under his teaching. He wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And he said this, this is an exact quote. When will the church learn this lesson? Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings or even training classes for Christian workers to do this job. Individual women are men and men are God's method and God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. The question is, or the reality is this, we have to learn the lesson as a church. Whether it was the Romans road or share Jesus without fear, the reality is all of those things are failures if we're not making disciples. Evangelism is a carryover from discipleship. As I grow further into my relationship with Jesus, it's just something natural I wanna talk about. 
You wanna know one of the reasons why I believe so many people hate our evangelism? Because it's pathetic. Because for the most part, a lot of times it's not what we believe. It's just trying to get something out, a memorized script. Instead of really talking about the person, the one who died on the cross for us, the one who loved us, the one that we should love. Instead of just having a natural conversation, we struggle. And I look at that and just say, hey, guess what that is? It's just a discipleship deficiency. And so that's why we've evaluated, or I say we, a lot of it's been me, looking deep within my own life, looking deep within our church and saying, hey, we're missing this. But I've also had other people say, hey, we're missing this. And so we're working through this. So I want you to understand this as we wrap up. You and I are God's method. You and I are God's plan. And we want you to see this. We want you to become this. We want you to be what the, these disciples were. We want you to be willing to leave it all. We want you to be willing to lay it all on the line. If it meant that God called you to give up a job, if it meant that God called you to, to go against what family may say, maybe that's what you have to do. But the big question is this. Are you willing to sit at the feet of Jesus first and foremost? Remembering, listen, that you have been called to be a disciple of Jesus first before you can ever make disciples for Jesus second. Let's pray. <clears throat> well, Father, we thank you for the reality that we know that we can look deep within, within our own lives, within the struggles that we face, within the difficulties we've had. Maybe we've been caught in traditions. Maybe we've been caught in mindsets that there are certain things that function a certain way. But God, I pray today that you would just open our hearts, open our minds, that we would understand the importance of what it means to be a disciple. And Father, today I pray that maybe there's someone today that, that would say, hey, I'm not a disciple. I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus. I, I realize he died on the cross. I believe that, but I've never followed him. God, I pray today that that person just where they're at would be able to understand that they can just simply do it where they're at. But the Bible says that if they believe with their heart and confess with their mouth that God raised them from the dead, that, he would, that God raised Jesus from the dead, that they would be saved. God, may we be a church that is focused on being disciples first, disciples of Jesus, and to be a church that focuses on making disciples second. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.